where common sense, honest conversation, and thought-provoking discussions thrive in a completely independent forum. This is the Roundup Podcast. Here now is your host, Jeff Eager. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Oregon Roundup Podcast. This is your host, Jeff Eager. You're just going to be hearing from me today. I do not have a guest today, so I'll just be ranting about a few things that have caught my interest this week so far, including an update on an occasional topic of mine, which is that there is, in fact, hope for Portland. have an update on that today. And then a couple of updates that arose from Governor Tina Kotek's tour through Eastern Oregon, which I assume may be concluding now, given the fact that I saw she posted something from Joseph yesterday, and there's really not too much farther east you can go from there. There's a couple of stories I want to talk about that arose from that trip, one of which involves drought, one of my favorite topics that only I care about, but you get to hear about it because I care about it, and this is my podcast. Bend, so I'm in Bend, of course, about 12.40 p.m. on Thursday. I know some of you listeners are in Bend, not all of you. Most of you are in Oregon, but not all of you. There are two seasons of traffic in Bend. One is summer tourist traffic, and the other is all the other time. Today, for whatever reason, this being Thursday, May 11th, I don't know why, but somehow all the tourist traffic is here all of a sudden today, which means that getting around town is much more difficult than it is other times of year. This this always sneaks up on me every spring or summer when somehow the tourists all decide to arrive at the same time. And one of the things that is a perennial struggle for tourists is figuring out how to drive through our roundabouts, which in most parts of the world I think are called traffic circles, but here we call them roundabouts. And these present a very serious problem for people to navigate if they're not used to them, and it slows traffic down significantly because they're freaked out about what they do, how to get into these little roundabouts and how to get out of these little roundabouts. And in general, just especially in the summertime, people in Bend are not in a hurry to get somewhere except for me. And that can be frustrating. People are driving and thinking about what kind of mountain bike ride they're going to go on next or looking at the surf park that's been constructed in the middle of the Deschutes River between the old mill and downtown. And everyone's just kind of having a a fun time. So that's a long, long way of me explaining something you wouldn't have known otherwise, which is that I was late to come here to record the podcast today, but just venting some traffic related frustrations. And for those of you who live someplace which has more traffic than Ben does, which is almost every place, you can look upon my complaints with the proper amount of scorn. All right. So today we're going to talk about, like I said, we're going to start with this story about from Portland, and this is Ted Wheeler. Now, there have been two political lives of Ted Wheeler, at least two. The first occurred prior to, say, 2022, maybe 2021. And in that period of time, during the protests and riots in Portland, during the kind of 
defund the police movement, the height of that. He was very much a normal progressive mayor in the mold of the mayors of Los Angeles, Chicago, San Francisco, etc. You know, basically talking progressive stuff on policing, the economy, on equity, etc. Something changed dramatically, and I've written about this once or twice in the past, and Ted Wheeler, you know, in the last year or two has been, in my opinion, a as good of a mayor as you can hope for as a moderate or a conservative for a place like Portland, Oregon, which is not, neither moderate nor conservative, typically. And he has come out strongly in favor of increased police funding, in favor of making it easier to force people into mental health care when they're suffering from severe mental health or mental illness. And he's trying to clean up homeless camps in Portland, et cetera. And you can quibble with his approach to all of those things, but he's at least saying and trying to do things that generally speaking, I think would help in Portland, uh, which is a marked difference from the way he was earlier on in his term as mayor. But he tweeted something yesterday that really caught my eye and uh, surprised even me because I've become kind of a, a Ted Wheeler fan. But this surprised even me. And he, he tweeted it in the context of a meeting that he has proposed with everyone in the Portland area who wants to raise taxes, all these taxing districts and whatnot. He's trying to get them together and basically tell them, hey, stop trying to raise taxes. It's killing us. Good for him. The taxes are killing Portland and Multnomah County in particular. So he's gathering this group together, and then he tweets out this story about it. Here's his tweet from yesterday. Portlanders are overburdened by increased government taxes, utility rates, and fees. Government leaders at all levels need to work together to ensure we protect our small businesses and workers and safeguard our economic future. That is Portland Mayor Ted Wheeler. That's the whole tweet. That's it. He might as well be running for president as a Republican right now with that message, which I think is great. It's remarkable to me that that kind of message is something that Wheeler and his folks think actually is sellable in Portland right now. Tells you a lot about the way politics have changed in Portland and how how the extreme leftward shift of Portland has made it possible for Ted Wheeler himself, you know, a self-described progressive Democrat, can say something like that. I mean, Republicans rarely say stuff like that anymore. He's, that statement is to the right of where Donald Trump is in the presidential race right now on economic stuff. And there's Ted Wheeler, mayor of Portland, just tweeting it out unironically I've got to say, good for him. I hope it, I hope it doesn't lose him ground over there. He's absolutely right. This capital gains tax that Multnomah County is looking at over there is just a complete disaster. And Portland is leaking people left and right, especially people with means and people with income who actually have to pay these taxes. And it's they're just in kind of a downward spiral economically and adding more taxes to that a dynamic or is exactly the wrong thing to do for Portland right now. So kudos to Wheeler for calling that out. And, you know, I, I point out to many of my friends who are on the more conservative side, like I am, 
who think that Portland is a lost cause, you might be right, but there are politicians over there that are trying to do the right thing right now. Unevenly, not perfectly, but they're trying to do the right thing. Wheeler's trying to do the right thing. Rene Gonzalez, who's a new county, pardon me, city commissioner in Portland, is trying to do the right thing. You've got members of that city council that have their heads screwed on straight and frankly are considerably to the right of any city councilor in Bend, Oregon right now. And they are they are moderates. I would describe them as political moderates, at least in the way that they position themselves in the context of Portland politics. These folks need help. They need our support They to do the right thing because they're catching a ton of grief from their left. And those of us who want to see Portland saved, this is the way it gets saved. And those people that are trying to do the right thing need that recognition and they need our help and support because they're, they're fighting the good fight in a difficult, difficult situation over there. Little on Tina Kotek's Eastern Oregon trip, it's <laughs> following her trip on Twitter is kind of funny. First of all, she wears her typical attire are blazers. So like the jacket, kind of a suit jacket. And she has a lot of them, a lot of different ones. And it's interesting to try to guess which one she or determine why she wore a particular blazer on any given day. Brought a lot of blazers with her to Eastern Oregon. And as she's gone through Eastern Oregon, you can you can see that she's, you know, surgically striking Democrats in these towns that are predominantly, in many cases, Republicans. You know, she'll go to the bookstore with the liberal bookstore owner. She'll go to the vintage shop with the liberal with the liberal owner. She'll go meet with a bunch of social workers at some nonprofit, all of which fine, good for them. But she's not meeting with the ranchers, or maybe at least that I've seen, or the the other folks that maybe typify what actually makes the economy in Eastern Oregon go to the degree it goes anymore. You know, she's not out there with the wheat farmers and just taking a look at the issues that really matter to people there. She'll be able to say now that she's done this Eastern Oregon tour, but if you look at who she's actually met with over there and kind of the stuff she's chosen to focus on, it's not bread and butter Eastern Oregon stuff. I don't see a lot of kind of bridge building to the more conservative folks on the eastern part of the state during this trip. It's It appears to me more that she's meeting with her types of folks that are sprinkled throughout Red Oregon which maybe isn't surprising, but also not significant kind of reaching across the aisle that she at least implied she would do during her campaign. One of the, one of the things she did, I'm sorry, I keep laughing. She dropped in on a committee that is looking at nitrate pollution in the lower Umatilla Basin. So there's this organization called the Lower Umatilla Basin Groundwater Management Area Committee, which is a lengthy name that only the government could come up with and enjoy. This group has been meeting for quite some time to try to figure out what they want to do about what apparently are increased nitrates in the groundwater in that part of eastern Oregon. Let me just read a little bit to you here for Tina Kotek's contribution to this committee. A committee tasked with addressing nitrate contamination, and this is from OPB Monica Semayoa from OPB on May 9th, 
A committee tasked with addressing nitrate contamination in eastern Oregon hit pause on adding a new member in the group after Governor Tina Kotek asked the group to ensure the person is bilingual. The Oregon Department of Environmental Quality announced on Friday that the Lower Umatilla Basin Groundwater Management Area Committee will open its application process for its second general public seat. The decision sparked concerns from some of the committee members who asked for clarification from the governor on how to move forward. The governor, so this is what the governor's DEQ spokesman said, quote, the governor does not want this pause to slow down the good work of the committee and the momentum that has been generated. So this is just that it is a pause to be very considerate. So she doesn't want to delay it, but she is pausing it to be considerate. This group has been meeting for more than 30 years. The Lower Umatilla Basin Groundwater Management Area Committee has been tasked with figuring out what's causing high levels of nitrates in the region's groundwater, as well as developing recommendations for reducing them. Groundwater is the primary source of drinking water in Morrow and Umatilla counties, and data from the Oregon Department of Environmental Quality show nitrate levels have steadily increased over the last three decades. The good news is that this committee that's been working for three three decades on this problem that is at least putatively urgent, they're going to pause now, thanks to the governor, so that they can make sure to have a Spanish-speaking individual on the committee. Tells you how important the work of that committee is in the in the view of Tina Kotek, but it's good that she's bringing her brand of identity politics over to Eastern Oregon. I'm sure that's appreciated by the folks up in Umatilla and Morrow counties. I'm not sure where this was in Eastern Oregon, but Kotek <laughs> was talking about wildfires and drought. So as listeners know, longtime listeners know, I have kind of a conspiracy theory about drought that there will be no media story that says that a drought is over in Oregon, that it is imperative that a drought always exists and that any story that talks about maybe a a good bit of precipitation has to be counterbalanced by a statement that the drought's still there. Like we can't ever be out of a drought. So here's this Headline from Oregon Capital Chronicle, Julia Shumway, May 9th. Oregon Governor Kotek, fire officials say wet winter could delay wildfires, but drought persists. Can you believe it? Drought persists. A wet winter is likely to delay wildfires, but ongoing drought in eastern Oregon could make for a worse fire season east of of the Cascades, Governor Tina Kotek and state fire officials said Tuesday, the, s- <laughs> the snowpack, snow accumulated on the mountains, is at about 140% of its normal level for this time of year. Our snowpack is at 140%. I don't know what it's been like everywhere east of the Cascade Mountains in Oregon. It's been a wet winter and spring here in central Oregon. Our snowpack's at 140%. I want to know what does it take to get out of a drought situation? That's my my question to everyone listening to the universe. At what point can we say that we are no longer in a drought? Again, that's something that I'm obsessed with, something among others that I'm obsessed with that no one else really cares about. 
and I'd love to be proven wrong. I want to just see a firm statement out there by the government or, or the media that just says the drought's over. The drought's over. Maybe it's not, they don't need to say it's over everywhere because it's, I'm sure it's not over everywhere, but just say the drought is over somewhere, please. You will gain a ton of credibility if you will just concede when a drought is over. Before wrapping up today, wanted to touch a little bit on what I wrote about this morning, and that was the Oregon colon New Jersey with trees piece, kind of summarizing the sorry state of political ethics and corruption in the state of Oregon and how we're starting to look like New Jersey in terms of some of the scandals that are going on in the state. I want to focus briefly on on just one part of that piece. I don't I don't like to just recite what I've written in these podcasts because I presumably quite a few of you have already read what I wrote. But one of the things I included was this video of Oregon Attorney General Ellen Rosenblum speaking at a Democratic Party of Oregon fundraiser via Zoom, of course, back in September 2020, in which she's trying to raise money from the De- Democratic Party of Oregon. I'll put a, another link to that video in the in the show notes. There was a link in the piece. It is astounding to watch the Attorney General, so who is the top law enforcement official of the state of Oregon, really just auctioning off contributions to the Democratic Party of Oregon. She refers to the staff of the Democratic Party of Oregon as our staff. Who does she work for, the state of Oregon or the Democratic Party of Oregon? It's just really, she, <laughs> her behavior, in my opinion, is not becoming of someone who is the top law enforcement official of the state of Oregon, someone whose job includes trying to root out corruption no matter where that corruption may arise, whether that is committed by Democrats or Republicans or someone else altogether. You watch that video, and frankly, there is no reason to have faith that this woman is actually going to do anything to prevent or pursue corruption charges against fellow Democrats. And she sure as heck isn't going to go after the Democratic Party of Oregon for that $500,000 contribution that I keep talking about. She talks in this video about how we need to keep the DPO coffers full. Well, you know, draining it of $500,000 or at least calling into question its ability to retain those $500,000 sure doesn't do that. And You know, there's a reason why, you know, there's this tradition of attorney generals in Oregon, but also elsewhere and nationally of keeping them out of partisan politics to a degree. Now, they all do partisan things, but boy, you I can't think of an attorney general who I've seen either at the state or the federal level who has actively engaged in the kind of fundraising kind of hawking that Rosenblum conducts in that video that I'll link to. And the reason why they don't do that is because they're supposed to have some peer, at least, somewhat neutral from a partisan political standpoint so that people have some degree of faith that they will actually enforce the laws equally between the political parties. And that's especially important right now in Oregon where we're dealing with myriad scandals, all of which, you know, in terms of the ones that matter, involve Oregon, uh, Democrats, because Democrats hold all the power in Oregon. They're the ones that are both going to get that kind of support from donors. 
And they're also the ones that have the levers of power so that they can do stuff for people. And there's just, you watch that video and you watch Rosenblum auctioning off influence via the state Democratic Party, and it's just gross. It is indicative of kind of this culture of corruption that we have in Oregon, where even the person that is supposedly going to enforce the laws against corruption, against political corruption, is knee-deep in fundraising for an organization that is, at least should be, under investigation for the circumstances in which it received its largest donation ever and misreported the source of that donation initially. Kind of dispiriting, and I, I think that public perception in Oregon is slowly catching up with reality. As I mentioned in the piece, the you know, we used to be known as a pretty clean government state. I remember even, you know, 10, 20 years ago, you know, Oregon did weird stuff, but it was pretty clean government. It's not. It's just not anymore. And it's a lot more like New Jersey than it was the kind of the clean government version of Oregon. And I think voter perception starting to catch up with that a little bit. I think this Fagan thing and the fact that the media actually covered it is an important step in making voters understand that, yeah, this is a serious problem. Oregon has a serious political corruption problem, and it should be front and center for anyone running for state office in Oregon, certainly anyone running for attorney general in Oregon. It's just got to be because the voters deserve to have someone enforcing the laws, regardless of whether they're from the same political party as the people who allegedly violated those laws. And we just have, there's no, the, you know, the fox is guarding the hen house in Oregon. That's the overused term I would use again to describe what's going on. There's just no, there's no adult in the room. There's no one that is there to protect Oregonians' interest in clean and fair government. And it's not like we're getting great benefit from our government. They stink at doing most everything. It's the you know, one of the poorest performing state governments in the country by any reasonable measure. And it's corrupt. So those things, it's not a coincidence that those things can go together. It's really, really unfortunate. And I think it would be a good thing if more voters became aware of it. And if Republicans in particular made it more of a campaign talking point, I think it's salient enough now in voters' minds, you know, Candidates in places like Chicago and New Jersey run on a clean government platform. You know, they, they are viewed to be outside the political machine that otherwise corruptly runs the, the place. And in Oregon, I think we're at that point where we probably need that here, too, because there is a cabal in Salem that gets political donations from favored groups, helps those favored groups, and it's a self-reinforcing loop that is a political machine, just like that which exists in places like Chicago, places like New Jersey, New York City. And we got to bust it apart. And that should be toward the top of the list of things that Republicans want to do is to break apart that cabal and give Oregonians a real voice, give Oregonians someone that will, a non-fox to guard the hen house and make sure that their interests are, are protected and that politicians aren't just lining their own vests with contributions and whatnot from these organizations and jobs, you know, consulting gigs from these organizations. We need 
Oregonians deserve someone who's going to ride herd on that situation. It's not to say that Republicans aren't capable of corruption. They're absolutely as capable as Democrats. It's just that they they don't have any power in Oregon. No one wants to corrupt them or fewer people want to corrupt them. So it's it's really up to Republicans and hopefully some well-meaning Democrats to you know, break with the cabal and talk about how corrupt our state government has been and what they're going to do to try to fix it. There's political risk, especially for Democrats doing that. There's really no political risk in Republicans doing it. I think the time is now and we've got to get this thing turned around because unlike New Jersey, Oregon is not adjacent to the largest, most wealthy metropolitan area in the country and the, you know, the source of a more wealth than any other place on the planet, that being New York City. We're just Oregon. We're out here, you know, it's a pretty place, but, you know, economically we don't have a lot of those advantages that that other states have and that New Jersey does because it's right next to New York City and these other kind of major East Coast metropolitan areas. We're out here, state of 4.2 million people sandwiched between Washington and California, We can't afford a reputation as a corrupt state. It's already hard enough to bring businesses and employers here if they catch wind or if they have the the idea, which idea would be correct right now, in my opinion. You know, our government is corrupt. Add that to the list, things that keep those employers out of here. And the people that are going to suffer are the Oregonians who otherwise would be working for these companies and the people that need that kind of economic growth to make things go in a state that costs a lot to live in. That's what I've got for today. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week, maybe with a guest, maybe not. We'll see. I hope you have a great weekend and talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Roundup Podcast. To share your thoughts with Jeff, you can email him at jeff at oregonroundup.com. You can also subscribe to his newsletter at oregonroundup.substack.com.